1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Peter Flaherty, and Millie is asleep. What we've got here is we are down to 16 teams in the NCAA tournament coming out of of regionals last weekend. We're going to get ready for super regionals this coming weekend. On on this episode of the podcast, we're going to run through these eight super regional matchups, uh, break them down as, as best as we can, very exciting round of regionals i thought around the country uh hopefully we can get some more of that kind of energy this weekend for super regionals i thought we did great with weather i thought we did great with drama uh there were some great performances over the weekend it was uh all around it was it was a very enjoyable start to the uh to the ncaa tournament
2: yeah no it was a it was a super exciting weekend uh there were a lot of upsets um some great teams advancing i think all in all we've got a a slate of eight really fun and entertaining super regional matchups yeah you
1: mentioned upsets we uh we definitely got some of those there's a four seed through to uh to super regionals for uh the second time in three years but just the eighth time in the history of super regionals which of course date to 99 uh that's oral roberts you know you had a couple two seeds winning but you know the, the big upset was uh was coming from Oral Roberts had a chance for a second one with, uh, with Penn reaching the regional final at two and O, but the Quakers couldn't quite get it done against Southern Miss. So Oral Roberts stands as your, uh, as your Cinderella. And uh, you know, that's a fun story coming through to, uh, to super regionals. We don't usually get something like that, obviously, but what we don't have is any three seeds. That's a, that's a rarity. It was a little chalky, but uh, with, with just enough upsets mixed in to, uh, to keep everyone entertained, I think. And then, you know, some absolutely massive performances like Trey Richardson hitting three home runs and driving in 11 runs in a game. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty special. And, you know, the game of not just the tournament for me, but probably of the year at any level of, of baseball. Uh, with with Clemson and Tennessee going at it on Saturday night, I was I was fortunate to be there and and see that 14 inning masterpiece. Although, frankly, Peter, I I would have appreciated like maybe two or three less twists and turns. The second half of that game, it was like honestly, just it was a little too much. At one at some point, there's you you reach diminishing returns with the the level of twists and turns and clutch hits and big moments and everything. It was just like okay, like I I don't. I, this, this is overkill. I, I am a little overloaded by by what's going on in this game. But I mean, for for me, anyway, like I cannot imagine a better game of baseball being or more exciting game of baseball being played this year. And if there is one, uh, I assume it would happen in October in the big leagues and we would all be consider ourselves very lucky to have gone to watch that game.
2: Yeah, no, I was going to say the the 14 inning affair, it looked as if, Clemson was going to be in the driver's seat in that regional up until Zane Denton swing with two strikes in the ninth to give Tennessee the five, four lead. And then it's like, okay, Tennessee is all the momentum. They're going to close this out in the ninth and Clemson ties it. And then it's just back and forth with big play after big play, big pitch after big pitch. And then finally Hunter Ensley comes through in the 14th with the go ahead RBI double. But I'm with you. There was, there was a, a game saving game changing type of play made almost in each each half inning of of the of the extra inning duration. So that was one of the more entertaining games in recent memory. I as you said, I can't imagine that anything is going to top that in terms of just sheer excitement, but uh but you never know. Yeah, we'll uh we'll just have to wait and see if anything
1: can do it. And uh like look, I'm happy to be proven wrong that there'll be uh maybe there'll be a better game and like look, that would be great. I'd, I'd enjoy seeing something like that again because it was uh it was a really really special game that I mean it started out really fun with with Grice and, and Dolander and you know it was well played for throughout the entirety of the, the regulation or through the first eight innings and then in the ninth inning everything got goofy uh, it was still really well played but it, that that was really when things uh, heated up and off it off it went into uh, you know lore uh, certainly in Tennessee history but i also think that that'll be remembered for a while uh just in terms of best games that that have been played in the regional round of the tournament
2: oh without a doubt i know that that's one and i've been doing it way less than you have but coming away from that one and watching it i'm sure you seeing it live even more so but that is that's one that i'll remember probably for for as long as i can i can recall so uh special one and and this weekend should provide more of the same
1: yeah, so let's uh, let's get into these super regional matchups. Uh, we can certainly look back at how uh, the route that some of these teams took to get here, but I think uh, I think everyone's at this point very excited about what is to come this weekend. So that's what we're going to uh, get into today on uh, on the podcast. And uh, I guess let's just start with with this in chronological order. The, the first game up uh, of super regionals will be on Friday uh, with Duke going to Virginia. That draws the uh, the noon game, which uh, I'm a little surprised about. I, I thought that maybe uh, maybe that would have gone a better TV slot, but it's it is how we're starting the week or the weekend with uh, with Duke going to Virginia. Now these two teams played each other during the regular season in Charlottesville, no less, and Duke won that series, and it was a really big deal when they did. It wound up, you know, Duke wound up not hosting, uh, but at the time that pushed Duke into uh, into first place in the division and. It looked like maybe they could even get a top eight seed, and I think it was right after that Duke went on finals break, or no, right after that Virginia went on finals break, and Virginia bounced back after its finals break, and Duke, uh, I don't want to say they fell apart, but uh, all the momentum that they had built with their incredible April kind of got, it it took a hit uh, with them being off for finals, and the end result was Virginia was a top eight seed, and Duke had to go on the road uh no matter though they went to Conway they took care of Coastal Duke pitched incredibly well this weekend as they have much of the year but incredibly well uh Virginia meanwhile swept through their regional they took care of East Carolina in the uh in the regional final but we've got uh we've got an ACC uh showdown here in, in Charlottesville
2: Yeah and and it's going to be a I think it's going to be a really really good matchup as you mentioned the two teams played each other earlier on and Duke's I think they're, them taking two out of three in late in April, that was kind of everyone's, okay, Duke is for real moment. And they had a tough regional in Conway with Coastal, Ryder, and UNCW in, in that pod. And they kind of cruised by UNCW before Ryder gave them all they could handle. And credit to Ryder, um, they, they beat Coastal. And they didn't go down without a fight in really throughout the regional. So they had an impressive showing, but uh Duke bounces back from its loss against the host coastal to to force a an all-important game seven on Monday night, which they were really in control from from the first pitch in that one. So there was never really a doubt. Liam Doyle, who was great in his first start of the regional, wasn't as sharp, I think a byproduct of really very minimal rest. So it was a lot to ask of him and Duke's pitching, as it has been all year, uh, it's been the strength of the club. So I think they have the best back end of the bullpen, maybe, of any team remaining in the field of 16 with Fran O'Shell and James Tallon, uh, as we've touched upon. If you can get them the ball with the lead or in a tie game going into the seventh inning, seventh or eighth inning, Duke's usually in pretty good shape to, to close that one out with a win. So they looked really good. And then UVA, as you mentioned, Swept their way through Charlottesville, pummeled Army in the fir- very first game of the tournament. Actually, they won fifteen to one, and then they had two hard fought victories over over a quality East Carolina club. So, um, it should be a really good one in in Charlottesville. I, I'm, I think that it's going to be difficult to not give the edge to UVA in this one. I don't know if, if Duke can essentially win two series against the Wahoos in a in a in a single season and not to mention UVA is 35 and 4 at home which they're going to have as good of a home crowd as they have all year uh this weekend and it's it's um I think it's a bit of an uphill battle for the Blue Devils going on the road but I think that while the ball might fly in in UVA's yard I think it's going to be a pretty pitching centric weekend you know we mentioned the the Duke bullpen and they have solid starters of their own and then if you look In the UVA dugout, you have Conley Early, Brian Edgington, Jack Parker, um, and then a strong bullpen anchored by Jay Woolfolk and Jake Berry. So, a really fun weekend on tap, I think.
1: Yeah, I mentioned how well Duke pitched all weekend, uh, but Virginia really, really did it as well. Uh, They gave up five runs on the weekend, Um, East Carolina got three in in, uh, the Sunday final, but the first two games uh virginia just gave up one run a, a piece in-, in those two they pitched uh at a really high level and you know they they have done a good job of finding their guys and jake berry has uh, has really come on he did a good job at the back end of the games they've got wolfock since they put o'connor uh, jack o'connor more in the bullpen like that's kind of added another arm and all three of those guys can go multiple innings, uh, especially Barry and O'Connor as, uh, as former starters. Uh, So they uh, they're definitely going to be able to pitch it. And, you know, Duke is out there uh, with one of the best pitching staffs in the country this season, uh, despite certainly the best bullpen, Uh, you know, they're kind of using openers to, to do it, but like they're, they're mixing and matching and it's been working all year and it worked again uh, in regionals. And, I mentioned Trey Richardson hitting three home runs in a game. You know, we can't also forget that MJ Mets hit three home runs in in a game uh, on Friday against UNCW, and he had a really good weekend overall. He homered again in the the Monday final, and he's doing all of this. Uh, I guess we're now two weeks after he tore his ACL uh, in the in the ACC tournament. So you know, we've got this year's Mike, uh, Mike Elko. <laughs> different different player uh this year's Tim Elko you know in terms of a guy putting putting an offense on his back on on a bum knee MJ Metz is uh, is fulfilling that role and he's coming off of a huge weekend you know they can swing the bats as well but but I'm with you I, I think that this is going to be a relatively um, pitching and defense kind of kind of super. Uh, but if it if it does turn into a slugfest, I think both of these teams will be fine. You know, obviously Virginia can score runs almost at will with like Kyle Teal and Jake Geloff, but uh, you know Duke has Duke has the guys to to keep up, especially if Mets uh, is going to keep doing what he's been doing.
2: Yeah, no, and I'm and I'm with you. I think if this does turn into a to a slugfest, offensive centric kind of weekend, uh, while Duke they, they've got the weapons to do it, but if If it does end up going in that direction, it's tough to not give the edge to a lineup that boasts Kyle Teal, Jake Geloff, Ethan Ethan Anderson, and Ethan O'Donnell. Um, It is a really deep lineup that gives opposing pitchers no break, so uh, Duke's going to have their work cut out for them, but it should be a really well-played, tightly contested series uh, for the entirety of the weekend.
1: Yeah, I do like uh Virginia here like you, Peter. I, I think the home field advantage is significant here. But I will I will say that you know, because Duke plays Virginia annually, and because it this year went to Charlottesville and won a series, it is in no way going to be scared of going on the road, intimidated by the atmosphere, none of that. Like they're gonna be ready for this. Now, where the difference I think might come is that while Duke, has, this is Duke's third super regional in five seasons. None of these players really have super regional experience. Like it, it might actually be none left from the 2019 team. Like I'd, I'd have to go player by player, I guess, but I think it might be zero. Whereas Virginia still has players that were on the 2021 world series team. You know, I, I really do think experience like that plays when you're dealing with the pressure of trying to get to Omaha. So uh, we'll, we'll see, but I, I, I think Virginia Certainly is going to feel confident going into this weekend. All right, let's uh, let's move it on. The uh, second one, second second super that will get played on Friday is Indiana State and TCU that that starts at five. Uh, so we're going to have a little bit of a break. I uh, kind of wish that game was starting earlier, but you know, whatever. I didn't set the schedule. Uh, that game is going to be played. That whole series is going to be played in Fort Worth, which is. Not the way it should be done. TCU was the two seed in Fayetteville. They swept through the uh, the regional hosted by Arkansas. TCU is on an incredible hot streak right now, having uh, finished the season really well, then won the Big 12 tournament, and now swept through uh, a regional at Baumwalker Stadium. But they, uh, again, they were not uh, a number one seed. They were, they were two. Indiana State was a host last weekend, the number 14 overall seed in the tournament, and they swept through the Terre Haute Regional beating Iowa in the final. However, this uh, the super is being played in Fort Worth because Indiana State has a scheduling conflict. They annually host the Special Olympics uh, state event of, of Indiana, um, and that happens to be this weekend. It's a lot to ask of one campus to put on a super and put on Special Olympics. Like There's just only so many resources in a city like Terre Haute. And so they did not bid to host supers. So instead, they're on the road in Fort Worth. Unfortunate circumstances for the Sycamores, who uh, not unprecedented. The same thing happened to Missouri State. Uh, it was in two thousand fifteen. Missouri State shares their ballpark with the A team, and the A team was supposed to be home and. The double-A team had precedent, so Missouri State's super got moved to Fayetteville and Arkansas won and went to Omaha. So this happens every now and again. <laughs> Apparently it only happens to Missouri Valley teams lately, but that's uh, that's the situation. TCU is going to be really hard to beat. They are, uh, again, they're on this incredible hot streak. They're arguably the hottest team in the country right now. We'll get to Oral Roberts, but TCU is arguably the hottest team in the country right now, and just the way that they handled their business in in Fayetteville was really really impressive
2: yeah I mean when when thinking about TCU and preparing for the podcast and I was it's them and Oral Roberts who are the two hottest teams in the United States right now and admittedly TCU was hot even even before their outburst in in Fayetteville they had I think they were entering the tournament winners of 11 of their last 12 or 12 of their last 13 regardless. It was an impressive run for the Horn Frogs and to see them go to bomb walker it was a little bit of a disappointment because it was at least in my mind and I I'm eating a big hearty serving of crow right now. I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of a buzzsaw. Um their season might kind of come to an end after a uh after a hard-played regional at, at in Fayetteville, but they stormed through. Uh, they stormed through Arkansas. They beat them handily twice. The Monday game was closer than the final score indicates. They kind of used some late inning production to to propel themselves to victory. But uh, the the Horned Frogs are, are are a runaway train right now, and the fact that they get a home super regional on top of playing the best baseball they have all year by far is. I mean it's a pretty big task for the Sycamores but honestly as we've seen with Indiana State all year they're not scared of anyone they won't bow down from from competition especially they won't be phased by going on the road and facing a good team and in in reading your your Fort Worth regional preview um and and getting some more knowledge on the Sycamores they're and and this is it, it's kind of evident in just watching them play if you if you sit down and watch them play but they're, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. They just do everything really well. They aren't going to beat themselves. It's not a really prospect-clad team. They do have Jared Spencer and Matt Jashik, um on the pitching staff, who are probably their two best pro prospects. Um, Spencer leading the way, but he's not eligible till next year. But they will they get production from all part, parts of their lineup. Um, there isn't one guy in the lineup, kind of like a Kyle Teal with UVA, for example, that you can point to and be like, Okay, he's going to lead the way for the Sycamores. It's all going to focus around him. He'll provide most of their production. They get it from every they they get it really from from anyone in their lineup on any given day, which I think makes them dangerous. And pitching-wise, I think there's no one better to set the tone than Matt Jesick. He's a really experienced guy, pounds his own. he's got a plus slider, fastball doesn't have premium velo, but it has good life to it and He's going to throw quality strikes, and you know TCU is playing so well right now that it might not matter. Um, they might just still pummel him, but I don't know. I think that this is going to be a really good series. I'm not quite sure who to give the edge to. Um, I I really find it hard not to give it to TCU, both after last weekend and then the fact that they get to play it at home. I mean that's a really really big deal for them to go from a three seed to now hosting a super regional. Unique circumstances, I know, but uh, one that really plays in their favor. And if you look at their lineup, they're they're firing on all cylinders right now. Ben Abel out of the bullpen is nails. He hasn't allowed an earned run in eighteen in his last eighteen and two thirds innings pitched. Cole Klecker, freshman on the mound, has been excellent. They get Luke Savage back. I mean, they're 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 about as good as you can find in the country right now. So, uh the sycamores have their work cut out for them, but without a doubt they are they're not going to roll over. I'm uh I'm going TCU and I don't feel amazing
1: about it cuz like you I think that this is going to be a little more competitive than some people might think on the surface, but just the way TCU is playing like honestly like I don't even care where this is being played like Yes, it's an advantage to be at home, but I don't think it's such a massive advantage. Uh, in TCU's case, like they have a really good, like they certainly feel com- comfortable playing in, in Lupton, but it's also not like going into a hornet's nest of Bomb Walker or the Box or Starkville or something. Like uh, it's a it's a good home field atmosphere, but it's again, it's just not one that's like it's a ballpark that plays relatively normally. You know, it's not it's not something where you like really have to like, oh, like this this has a goofy setup and like they're really like geared to play here. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a relatively normal ballpark in terms of dimensions and stuff. And, you know, TCU will have plenty of fans there and they'll be behind their team and they get to sleep in their own beds and everything. And all of that matters. But if you're Indiana State and you spend the first six weeks of the year playing on the road anyway, like I just don't think that this specific... Team that TCU has coming in is going to be phased by what they have to throw at them, uh, in terms of the home field advantage. But I just think that the way TCU is playing right now, the way that offense is going, it's strength on strength. And I guess just give me, having watched uh, TCU drop 20 on Arkansas, uh, give me give me the TCU offense is uh, is where I'm where I'm going. Uh, I think TCU can pitch it fine, but you know the 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 big thing here is just going to be how does the indiana state pitching staff and their defense cuz this is a pitching and defense team how do they deal with tcu's offense which has the ability to beat you with some power obviously they've got taylor you know in the heart of the lineup he's not the only one that can run the ball out though and then tcu like peter this had like completely gone under the radar for me and maybe this is i maybe i'm completely dumb for having missed this uh, I tried to watch as much TCU as I could during the season because they were a team that was confusing me. So I feel like I put on an awful lot of TCU games, but this none of this registered until I was, you know, lo- looking through stuff during the tournament. They have stolen like 138 bases this year and they're stealing bases at an 85% clip. Like it is wild. They've been thrown out 19 times in like
2: 160 steal attempts. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that because... When I was digging into TCU and Indiana State today and just kind of doing my due diligence and looking through the rosters and anything that might stick out, I noticed there are 139, as you mentioned, 139 for 158. There is not a single real clogger on the base paths on the entire roster. I guess maybe Curtis Byrne is the only real non-threat to run. But other than that, I mean, you got to have your head on the swivel on the mound at all times. You'll have to hold eight of the nine runners on and I mean they're a really good base running team. it's I think what sticks out is their base running skills because you look at the the roster and they don't have one super burner like an Enrique Bradfield, no one has an Enrique Bradfield, but they don't have any. I mean like Nunez is the best and he's what a six maybe a seven right exactly. and they don't have anyone with real game breaking speed. They just all know how to run the bases. they have a really good base running system. Um, and they're all problem causers on the bases. So, and as you mentioned, kind of reverting back to it, it's Indiana State, as they have done to every single team they've faced this season, they'll give TCU all it can handle, but it's hard to not give the edge to a team that averaged 16 runs a game against Arkansas just a week ago, and now they're really going to be feeling it at home. So um, they're they're in a really good spot to, to advance to Omaha.
1: All right. Uh, next up is South Carolina at Florida. Both of these teams were hosts last week. Both of them, uh, you know, advance here, South Carolina swept through Columbia. They beat Campbell in the, uh, in the final, uh, they took care of NC state in the, uh, in the, the winner's bracket game before that. Florida advances despite losing on Saturday night. They won three straight must-win games, eliminated UConn, and then beat Texas Tech twice, pitching it incredibly well along the way. Uh, Florida, the number two overall seed, is hosting this Super. It starts at 6 o'clock on Friday. It is the first of two all-SEC Supers we will, we will talk about. And, Peter, the most notable thing here for me is that South Carolina – Yes, it was just one weekend, but South Carolina sure looked like uh, the South Carolina we saw two months ago, much more than the South Carolina we saw two weeks ago. And that's great news for the Gamecocks.
2: Big time. And it's really ironic because the I guess you could call it the turning point of their season was after a sweep of Florida at Founders Park. And that's kind of when everything went downhill with injuries and and poor play and whatnot. And they were coming into the tournament. Really not riding any sort of momentum. They had a nice nine to nothing win to open up uh, the SEC tournament, but they then lost the next two games to LSU and Texas A and M, being outscored by a combined margin of fifteen to three. So they kind of limped into a hosting spot. I think being rewarded, or I, I don't know if rewarded is the word to use, but earning a host, I think, was a big sigh of relief for them. They play really well at Founders Park. It's an offensive centric ballpark it plays really well into the strength of the South Carolina team. And they didn't get an easy draw by any stretch of the imagination. They got Campbell who for my money's worth, they're the best bid major in the country um, just year in and year out. And then they get NC state who's, who's never an easy matchup. And then a central Connecticut state team that, that ran through the NEC and has a couple of good arms. So going into the weekend, we each had pegged them as, as favorites to be upset and honestly going into the regionals if talking about Campbell coming out of that region wasn't really all that big of an upset I didn't think so um they they had everything kind of stacked against them but they they rolled through Columbia they looked exactly like that March and April South Carolina team that was so good they threw the ball well they they mashed all weekend and now they had it they head down to Gainesville against a Florida team that they know they can play well against. They've already swept. um, And with all the confidence in the world and then with Florida uh, they, they made their way through the losers bracket to, um, to advance to their first super regional since 2018. And they, I was for as good as that Gators offense is, and as much praise as it gets the the pitching staff was just unbelievable all weekend. Every anywhere you looked, every arm was contributing quality innings on the mound. They threw the ball really well. the The stuff was electric as always. So um, these are two teams as we kind of got treated to weekend every weekend in you know April and May with these big time SEC series. This is this will be more of the same, and they're they're on a collision course for a a really entertaining weekend. Yeah, no doubt about that.
1: And, you know, South Carolina is going to come in with confidence, having played really well over the weekend. And then, you know, knowing that they handled Florida earlier in the season. And I also imagine, though, that they're probably going to be able to you know, despite, despite having swept Florida earlier, I I imagine they're going to be able to play up the, but we're the underdog and nobody, nobody believes in us this weekend. Like, so they're going to have like the best of both worlds. They're going to have the confidence in knowing they can beat the team that they're matched up against and also be able to to say, nobody believes in us. So a dangerous combination right there. The, the other really notable thing here for South Carolina is they looked so much different offensively this weekend. And I don't want to put this all on the fact that Will McGillis was hitting leadoff, but having that guy back uh, really for the first time in like two months, uh, I it really seemed like to, it made a difference in, in the lineup. It made a difference that Wimmer was back at shortstop for the first time in a month. And uh, you know, they're, they're in a really good spot with all of that. I, the question now is just: Does that matter on the road? A, because South Carolina uh, has been much more beatable away from home than they have been in Columbia this season. And then B, you know, like you said, every arm that Florida turned to this weekend, uh, whether we're talking about you know Hurston Waldrop or Cade Fisher, like anyone in a big spot, they all delivered. Can South Carolina beat Florida's top arms uh, twice? in a year. You know, that's, uh, it's a big, it's a big ask to have to win two series against a team like Florida to get to Omaha. And uh, you know, that is now the task that's, uh that's facing the Gamecocks this weekend.
2: It's a tall one for sure. But as you mentioned, having that South Carolina lineup back to pretty much full strength, I think gives it a lot of stability. It gives a feeling of normalcy. It kind of takes the load off of, I think everyone else in the lineup outside of, you know, Will McGillis and Braylon Wimmer, everyone kind of goes back to pulling their own respective load, so to speak. Um, I think that guys are going to press a lot less. And we saw it this weekend. They played really loose. They played, um, th- they were driving the ball over the yard, and it was a balanced attack. And you look up and down the lineup, there are probably, there are seven or eight guys that can really beat you. And I think a key in the bottom third of the order in looking at it as Michael Braswell, you look at the stat line and the back of the baseball card, nothing's really going to jump out, but it seems like he always comes through with a clutch hit or two, uh, every weekend. And then up at the top, obviously it's just loaded with, uh, Petri Messina and Wimmer. So that's about as good of a two through four, um, stretch as you can find. And, um, while they do have their work cut out for them with Florida, um, it's, it's going to be a really, really good weekend. But I think that with the Gators pitching being at home and, you know, they are 33 and six at home, not to mention. Um, but I, I, I really find it hard to believe that, you know, the Gamecocks are going to be able to come out on top twice against Florida. So, um, I, I think I lean Florida here.
1: Yeah, it's boring to keep saying that the hosts are the favorites here, but the hosts are the favorites here. And uh, you know, I one one last thing on Florida is I'll be interested to see how they set up the pitching staff. Uh, Caglione started the opener as uh, Florida saved Brandon Sproat for that uh, that winners bracket game. Presumably, they'll go back to Sproat, though he you know pitching on Saturday to pitching to Friday—that's one day less rest than is typical, but. Caglione, then, assuming he goes back to Sunday because Waldrop will pitch on Saturday. If, if it comes to that, he'll be more rested. And then how does that impact things? So, and if you look at, at Jack's splits, uh, the home road is significant. So, him being at, you know, in Gainesville, uh, if, it, if it comes down to a winner take all game three, I, I would. I would feel like a rested Jack Caglione pitching at home is, is a comfortable spot for Florida to be in.
2: Yeah. And not to mention, like, home road splits aside, he's only allowed more than one earned run in, I think, one of his last six appearances. So not only does he throw the ball really well at home, um, he's he's hit his stride on the mound. So you're going to get a fully rested, completely dialed in Caglione if it goes to three, which. Um, we'll see if it does, but, um, he's, he's throwing the ball as well as he has all season.
1: Meanwhile, South Carolina, a little uncertain what they'll do in a third start, uh, if it got there. So we'll, uh, that is something to watch. And as of now, Mark Kingston has not made any, any sort of an announcement on the rotation. So, uh, so, something to watch, uh, as, uh, as we get ready for that, that series to open. Uh, last game on Friday will be Oral Roberts going to Oregon. That starts at uh, at eight Eastern. Uh, Oral Roberts, like I mentioned earlier, is the Cinderella of the tournament. They were number four seed in Stillwater. They swept through that regional. They did. <laughs> they they really uh, handled their business just fine. And you can say they're underseeded and all the rest of it. And like, look, they were, uh, but they're they're still a four seed and. Uh, we're going to call them a Cinderella, uh, regardless of the fact that they uh, that nobody but Wake Forest has more wins than Oral Roberts this season, and, and any other number of, of stats that indicate that Oral Roberts is a pretty good team. But uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fit them for the slipper regardless. Oregon, meanwhile, uh, comes out of Nashville where they were the number two seed. Uh, they swept through that. They took care of Xavier in the final. They uh, beat Vanderbilt in the winners bracket. And Oregon you know, won the Pac-12 tournament and, and is also carrying a fair amount of momentum. They're, they're not quite TCU in terms of hot, but they're not far off. And uh, they now get to host uh, a Super Regional for just the second time in program history. You got to go back to 2012 uh, for the last time they hosted. And of course, that one did not end well for Oregon as they got upset by Kent State, uh, which was Cinderella-ish itself. Uh, they were only a three seed, not a four seed, but, uh, and overshadowed as a Cinderella in 2012 by Stony Brook, but still, uh, you know, it's Kent state there. <laughs> I, I love the back, but the, it, it is what it is. And, uh, so now Oregon trying to get to Omaha, uh, and they'll have to go through Oral Roberts to do it.
2: Yeah, no. And like you mentioned, Oral Roberts going into that Silwater regional, which I think, I think was the most loaded regional. And. In the field this year, with Oklahoma State, Washington DBU, and ORU, that's, I mean, that's as good of a quartet as you can find. But ORU, forty nine and eleven on the year, they haven't lost since April twenty second against North Dakota State, and they ran through Stillwater. They beat host Oklahoma six to four to improve to three and zero on the year. All in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. They then won a slugfest against Washington that kind of, when I was watching, I was like, okay, so here's the the Stillwater regional game of the regional where it was a more football looking score. And they were down, they went down eight, nothing. Washington looked like they were going to improve to two and oh and, and get into the driver's seat in that regional. But ORU, they, they can beat you in so many ways. And you talk about these teams that are equipped to hit with other teams and, and get into a pitcher's duel. And granted, some of it is a byproduct of, of playing at O'Brate stadium, but they come back to win 15 to 12. And then they win a tight one run game against DBU on Sunday night to sweep their way through the regional. And we, it was funny. You mentioned how the hosts kind of have the edge so far in discussing these. I I'm all in on the golden Eagles this weekend. Um, I think that they're going to go to Eugene and, and take a series from Oregon to, to advance to Omaha and, they're a super well-rounded club, top to bottom. Offensively, Jonah Cox, he has a forty-four game hitting streak. He's hitting four twenty-four. And then, pitching wise, they they really throw the ball well as a team with a three ERA. But a couple guys to hone in on: Kate Denton, the Summit League Pitcher of the Year, here under save in all three games last weekend. He's got a one-six ERA with seventy-five Ks to so just nine walks and fifty-four innings. Fastball up to ninety-eight. That's just It's like hitting against a bowling ball and then a really nasty slider to supplement it. And, um, Jacob Widener also out of the bullpen. It's a very, very unique look, six, seven lefty, super high-waisted 74 strikeouts and 45 innings. And they have a really sound rotation as well. So I think that not only does Oregon have their work cut out for them, but I think that any team that, that goes against ORU does, um, going forward. And then if you talk about the Ducks, I think underratedly, they're they're one of the hottest or hotter teams in the country with nine straight wins, a Pac-12 tournament championship, and then I think almost underratedly, they swept their way through the Nashville regional. They want a a pair of one run games to improve to two and zero before a sound eleven to two win over Xavier on Sunday. But I kind of looked up going into Sunday and was I was like, man, you know, Oregon is two and zero. They've got Xavier. Uh, Xavier would have to beat them twice, and um you know, the Ducks took care of business on Sunday and this was without Jay Stofall, whose status I know is still up in the air for this weekend. And if they can get him back, I think that'd be a big time difference maker on the mound for them. And he's been, he's been their steadiest arm all year, although he hasn't pitched since late April. But, uh, I think playing at PK Park for the Ducks is obviously a a big time advantage and their, their lineup is really firing at all cylinders right now. Riku Nishida up at the top is, is outstanding. And then you have Drew Cowley and Sabine Ceballos as your three, four hitters, which provide most of the thump. So uh, I think that the ducks are going to get all that they can handle um, and, and play well in front of their home crowd. But man, I'm, I'm not going to bet against the golden Eagles this weekend. So I like Oregon and I don't know that I have like a
1: real rational (laughs) explanation for that. Uh, I don't really understand how Oregon has gotten as hot as they have all of a sudden, uh, you know you look at it and it's like well they were really good with Stowfall earlier and they don't have them anymore and now you look at this pitching staff and it's a it's it, it's full of freshmen pitching important spots and b like it's without its ace and it's not like this was a team that had a real number 2 to begin with it's not like oh well we took off the first half of the 1 2 punch but we still have a good 2 like it wasn't it wasn't that kind of pitching staff to begin with so they are going to have their work cut out for them. I just like the way that they're playing right now. And you can say that, like, Oral Roberts is the hottest team in the country that they haven't lost since April. And, like, that's true. But Oregon has really found something. And what they seem to have found is the right mix on the mound. Surprise, surprise, a Mark Wasikowski coach team has, like, found its stride offensively. Like, of course it has they're just playing well overall. Uh, and I think being at home is, uh, is important for them. And, you know, if you look at what Oral Roberts has done this year, it's, uh, it's incredibly impressive. Like Jonah Cox has a hit in every game he's played in, but one has hit in like 42 straight games. Uh, they've got an impressive offense that they're going to throw at Oregon and Oregon better have a lead. Uh, or better not be behind anyway. Uh, you know, late in the games, or else they're going to have to deal with Denton, and that's it's uh, not a comfortable spot to be in. Uh, so they're definitely going to have to be ready. This is not a bad team. Like it might say that they're a number four seed, but uh, they didn't win forty nine games by accident. I uh, I just something about the way Oregon's playing right now. Like they went in and they really took it to some good teams in Nashville, and uh, I I just respect what they're what they've been able to do over the last two weeks to to sweep through the PAC 12 tournament and then, then sweep through that field um, especially beating Vanderbilt and beating Hunter Owen relatively handily on, uh, on Saturday. It was like, it's not like they, they, they hammered them or anything, uh, but Oregon just was, was never, you know, they, they just, it felt like they were right there the whole game. And, and, you know, they were the ones controlling it, not, not having to to answer Vanderbilt, they're forcing. They were on the front foot, is I guess the best way to say it. And if they're able to maintain that, if they're able to stay on the front foot, I think that they have the talent advantage on Oral Roberts uh, that will propel them through this weekend.
2: Yeah. Regardless, there's an argument to be made that this is the most interesting, intriguing matchup because I these are two teams that are super unfamiliar with one another, and I think yes, <laughs> and I think to your point. Oregon has to the to the best it, that it can right now. They've figured it out on the mound and who to throw and where. You mentioned Grayson Grinsell, the the freshman left-hander, and then Ter- Turner Spiljarek has been also really really strong for them. As has Logan Mercado and Grinsell's a guy that he could throw twice this weekend, whether it's four and four, five and three, however you want to slice it. Um, he's a guy who can give you extended innings um, twice in a weekend. And then, you know, things can get weird in super regionals. You might use another guy twice, but, um, they've, they've got it going on. So it's, it's a really fascinating matchup.
1: All right. So we're going to, uh, move on to the supers that start on Saturday uh, and we'll break those down here in a second, but first check this out.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed if you need to hire you need Indeed
1: All right, moving on to our second set of super regionals, uh, those starting on Saturday, and we are going to start uh, where they they start on Saturday, and that is with the number one Wake Forest Demon Deacons hosting hosting Alabama. That's uh starts at noon in Winston Salem. Wake Forest, like look, it was <laughs> I. That was as impressive as you could ask for for a, a regional weekend. They just hammered George Mason and Maryland. Was the competition the best that anyone faced this weekend? No, absolutely not. But what Wake Forest did to Maryland was, first of all, like very impressive. And Maryland is a good team. Uh, but then the, also, like, what what do you want from them? Like, the, they got the draw that they got. They earned the draw. They earned an easier draw, and they uh, they took care of business. Uh, so they're going to come in feeling good at home, you know, they're, they're ready for, for the next, the next round, Alabama uh, swept through its, its regional. They took care of uh, BC in the, uh, in the finals. I don't want to say they didn't break a sweat, but I will say that I thought I was going to spend a lot more time like scoreboard watching uh, or actual watching the Tuscaloosa regional. And I spent very little time watching it because it was uh, when Alabama was playing like they, they just were they were handling things. And uh, so I think this is a really fun matchup here uh, this weekend at, at the couch.
2: Yeah. And last weekend in Tuscaloosa, it was it was a really entertaining regional, almost underratedly. So I think it was easy for it to get overlooked because it wasn't maybe the the sexiest grouping of teams. But as you said, it was I it wasn't the opposite of Wake did with its three to nothing demolition, but um, it was a really hard-fought, hard-earned 3-0 record for the Crimson Tide. And on Friday, when we were kind of going through the tournament last week on the podcast, we mentioned Nichols and, and right-hander Jacob Mayers as one to watch, and he didn't disappoint. Five and two-thirds, eight Ks, two earned runs. He kept Nichols in the game for its entirety, um, and Nichols was actually up three to two heading into the bottom of the seventh. Uh, Bama was able to tie it on a Matt Gassetti missile down the left field line, and uh, they they had to beat the Colonels in walk off fashion with a with a Jim Jarvis single. So that was far from easy. And then you look at the game against Troy. Um, Alabama was on its heels heading into the ninth. They were down eight seven, and uh, they had runners on second and third with two outs for Tommy Seidel, who looked to ground a a routine ground ball to the shortstop. But as its it defense has been. Troy's Achilles' heel all season, and it really, really bit him in Tuscaloosa. Um, as the shortstop, it, he he sailed the throw wide of the first base bag. Two run score. Bama hangs another two for insurance, and then they kind of coasted to an eight to nothing win over over BC in the regional final. And then with Wake, I'm not really sure what else there is to say about it. It was a forty eight to seven demolition of George Mason twice in Maryland. I think that. I I wasn't expecting anything less than a 3-0 weekend from Wake. I did have the Northeastern Maryland winner. I had that game circled as one that would probably be close for its entirety. I was proven wrong. And then just for fun on Sunday, Wake piggybacked Josh Hartle with Sean Sullivan and the two combined for 16 Ks over, I think, seven and two-thirds innings. So... Uh, that was about as impressive a showing as as you can have, regardless of your seating. And I, man, I I think that Alabama is a really good team. They're your Omaha sleeper, so I want to be respectful of that. As I'm gonna have to hop on the bandwagon now because my Omaha sleeper got bounced. But um, I I think that the Deeks are gonna again take care of business and and punch their ticket to the College World Series.
1: Look, I'm gonna ride Alabama here. <laughs> you have but, to. You, you have yeah. to. So first of all, I have to, right? Like we've got we've gotten this far, and I've made a lot less of the fact that my Omaha sleeper this year is good. Like if you've been listening to this podcast for a couple of years now, you know that I picked Notre Dame in 2021, and I made I made a lot out of that. Like th- this year, I, I just to let the whole Tide thing kind of kind of just slide. Like some of that's because of kind of like what their season has been and like take that in its totality, both that like for a while they didn't look all that great and then the circumstances and then like uh, this last month has just been so unbelievable. Like I I just don't even know where to start. Like the team that I picked as my Omaha Sleeper, I feel like has changed so much, like three different times throughout the year that it's like, well, I don't even know if the reasons that I picked them were like, have anything to do with what they're doing today. So that's one reason why I, I have to stick with it, though, is they, they are my Omaha sleeper. If you pick up the college preview issue, there doesn't is print. But the other thing is that, look, the number one overall seed has lost three straight super regionals. And each time you would have been like, well, what do you mean they're going to lose? Like UCLA is going to lose to Michigan in 2019? Like people have forgotten that team I think both because it was pre-pandemic and like nobody remembers anything uh and also because it was a Pac-12 team so they hadn't they didn't have a, an intense level of familiarity with that UCLA team as the number 1 team in the country but like that team was really really good and then in 2021 Arkansas gets uh gets beat by NC State nobody saw that coming and then a year ago uh Tennessee gets taken down by Notre Dame and while you know, I certainly said some things about how I thought Notre Dame could win that regional or that super regional. Uh, like, still, I don't think, I think the world did not expect Tennessee to lose. So, right now, Wake looks unbeatable, right? Like, they've got the best pitching staff in the country. They've got a dangerous offense. They've got the home field advantage this weekend. They've got all of these things going for them. And, like, Alabama's not going to care about any of that. Like, the way Alabama's playing, the way the 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 looseness which, which with which they have played for going on a month now, the way that they can pitch, like they're gonna match up, you know, I uh I, I'll ride with the tide. And, you know, again, like rationally, maybe if you look at this, like how am I supposed to defend that? Like uh, you know, I I, I can't give you X's and O's reasons necessarily, but like I just think the way that Alabama is is gonna approach this mentally, I I like. And at some point, Wake is going to feel pressure. They didn't feel it last weekend. I'm not surprised they didn't feel it last weekend, but they're going to feel pressure this weekend. And this Wake Forest team just hasn't had to deal with that throughout the season. And so we don't really know how they're going to respond. And I think that that is part of what happened to UCLA, to Arkansas, and to Tennessee, is that players and or coaches felt pressure that they were not used to and they did not respond in a uh, in the best way. And they ended up taking, uh, you know, stunning season ending losses as a result.
2: And in looking at this and trying to think of, OK, how can Bama do this? I think that they I think that game one is a must win or as close to a must win as as you can have in a non elimination format or non Single game elimination format. I think if you can get, and it's a big, big ask in both pitching at the couch and against the caliber lineup that Wake is going to trot out there, it's a big ask for him. But if you can get six to seven innings of two to three run baseball from Luke Coleman, you're going to be in that game in the late innings. And if you're in that game, you're going to believe that you can do it. And if you've got, you know, you've got Seidel and Andrew Pinkney, Drew Williamson, Colby Shelton as 22 Jacks they can swing it as well and all it takes is one or two big swings you come out with a four four to three win five to three whatever low scoring margin you want to come up with and and that might be just enough for the tie to get it done and then you've got a game one win under your belt and wake is suddenly on the rope so um while i'm gonna ride with the Deeks here i I think that it it's it's well within reach that Bama does pull off this upset because as you mentioned, uh, just with everything that's gone on within that program, there isn't a an environment or um or 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 test or adversity that is that's going to phase them at this point. You know they're gonna they're not going to blink walking into Winston Salem. So uh, I think on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon at noon, um, it's going to be a, a really really good baseball game.
1: The Michigan team and the um, Notre Dame team that, that won uh, those Supers, they both won game one. Uh, NC State took a different route. They uh, lost 21-2. to They putted on that game at some point and saved all of their relievers. So uh, <laughs> there, there are two routes uh, that the teams have taken lately. But, yeah, I, I do think, Peter, you're right, that winning game one is uh, is really significant because it puts, it puts that pressure on them right away. Like you're they feel pressure on that Saturday, uh, but then they have to sleep on that pressure going into Sunday. And while both uh UCLA and, and Tennessee responded and, and won game two, but like now your entire weekend is pressure and you haven't felt that pressure all year long, like that that's a big deal, I think. And um so yeah, just go beat rhett Louder. That's all you gotta do. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: no, no big deal. And then you got you to gotta beat Rhett Louder and then you got to beat one of uh, Sean Sullivan and Hartle. So uh should be a cakewalk in Winston-Salem.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I also, though, am interested to see
1: how Wake sets up the pitching. They pitched off with Keener on uh, on the Friday. Uh, so it means Louder's on normal rest going into Saturday. And then I assume that it would be hater in game two. And then they would probably just figure out where they are from there for game three, whether, you know, they needed Keener or, Extended in one of those first two games or whether Sullivan makes more sense, but uh great problems to have obviously. And and that's been the case all year at Wake Forest.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, just an embarrassment
1: of riches. Moving on. We got uh both of these next, next two start at three, uh, but we're going to uh we're going to head to Hattiesburg. Uh, that's a controversial thing that we're headed to Hattiesburg and not Knoxville, but it's Tennessee at Southern Miss Tennessee swept through that Clemson regional. We talked about, Uh, their magnificent win against Clemson uh, on Saturday. They finished it off with a win against Charlotte uh, to, to complete the regional Tennessee is in supers for the third straight year. Southern miss is, uh, is back in supers for the second straight year, having uh, done it the hard way. They lost their opener to, to, to the Auburn regional. They lost to Samford and then they won four straight. They knocked out Auburn and then they uh, you know, got revenge on Samford, and then they beat Penn twice, denying us uh, another Cinderella team. Instead, we get, uh, we get Southern Miss trying to you know, get to Omaha in Scott Berry's final season. This is happening in Hattiesburg because the selection committee had to make a decision. Both of these teams were two seeds. Um, if you ask the people in Knoxville, it seems like they think they should host because Hattiesburg doesn't have an Applebee's. I don't know. Twitter's a strange place. It's a very strange place. Uh, I think both of these teams had a case to host a very strong case. I kind of would have leaned Tennessee because they swept through that regional in Clemson. And I think it was close a week ago. I think Southern Miss hosting is an indication that maybe it wasn't as close a week ago as we thought that maybe Southern Miss was uh, pretty close to the top 16 as it was uh, in any case. Uh, Pete Taylor Park is is where this one is going to be this weekend, and it is going to be jumping. I am sure.
2: One, it's going to be bananas. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like down there. It's some of the two of the two of the best fan bases in college baseball, um, and I'm really, really looking forward to this one because you've got Southern Miss and Scott Barry's last season. You have the storyline there, um, playing for something a whole lot bigger than just a not just, but then a birth to the college world series. And then you have Tennessee who last year, shockingly lost to Notre Dame, got their had their historic season end prematurely. And they're coming into Hattiesburg with a big time chip on its shoulder. And, you know, they, they're going to have their work cut out for him on, on Saturday when they get Tanner hall, who he threw 11 innings in four days. I know that Twitter was, Twitter was like that gif of I think Donald Glover like coming back with the pizza box to like the house on fire. I think that was basically a metaphor for what Twitter was when they saw that Tanner Hall was announced as the starter for the decisive game 7 of of the Auburn Regional, but nonetheless, Tanner Hall is going to give Tennessee as as good a look at it as a, at an opposing pitcher as it's seen all year. Um but man I think that between the kind of trying to avenge last year, the emotional regional win in Clemson, headlined by that 14-inning marathon, um, and then just the personnel that they have, particularly offensively. Southern Miss does have Dustin Dickerson, Matthew Etzel, Slade Wilkes. It's an impressive bunch, Captain Danny Lynch. It's a really impressive bunch. It's a gritty group. And then you have Tanner Hall, who's as good as any starting pitcher in the country. Um, I just, I lean Tennessee here in a really, really good three-game series. That's probably the, the most exciting and closest of any super regional we get this weekend. I just, I think you look at the depth of that starting rotation with Andrew Lindsay and Dolander and Drew Beam. And then you can use Chase Burns in a myriad of ways out of the bullpen. He's most effective. Um, and then there are other bullpen arms with Secrist and Combs. And Hollis Fanning even has given you quality innings. So I think that in the end, offensively, the Vols are just going to have a couple of more big hits than the Golden Eagles to to eke out a a super regional victory.
1: Yeah, maybe this is uh, coming from a place of, I just saw Tennessee play the game of the year and look really good all weekend, but yeah, give me the Vols. I think that the Southern Miss team is good. I just think that Tennessee is not quite playing as well as we thought maybe they would when we ranked them number two in the preseason, but they're, they're close and they're closer to that than they've been at any time this year. And that team is scary. Uh, The pitching that you just ran through, like, I don't need to remind anyone, I don't think, but Southern Miss didn't score a run in Super Regionals last year against Ole Miss, and this Tennessee pitching staff is better than Ole Miss's was a year ago. And this Southern Miss lineup is mostly the same. So, you know, like, is that unfair to Southern Miss to bring that up? Maybe. It's a different year they have that experience now, whatever, but the way Tennessee can pitch the fact that this Southern Miss team is not like, it's not strength on strength. This is, this is not one of those. This is going to be a pitching regional. And as good as Southern Miss is on the mound, I think I like Tennessee more. No, I know I like Tennessee more. Like it, the, the amount of power arms they're going to run out there is, is crazy. Uh, one thing to watch is that, What they did with Tanner Hall this year, they did last year as well, and then they held Tanner Hall for Game 2. That, we'll see if they do that again this year. I would expect that's the plan, just given how much he pitched last weekend uh, and the short rest of it all. Uh, However, a year ago, they did have Hurston Waldrop to turn to for Game 1. They don't have a pitcher that's like Hurston Waldrop to turn to this year in a Game 1, so I... I expect that Hall will go in game two, but that is uh, that is something to watch here as uh, as Southern Miss has to make uh, make pitching decisions this weekend. and
2: and with Hall going on in in game two potentially and while they don't have Waldrip, what I I think would be a likely scenario and one that would give the Golden Eagles the best chance to win is if they go Armistead maybe to start and justin storm perhaps piggybacking him justin storm was phenomenal he, against penn he was lights out in in his appearance against penn in that 11 to 2 win which was way way closer than the final score indicates. he went
1: yeah they scored nine runs in the, <laughs> the last two innings or something it like. was
2: three to two in the ninth and then they exploded for eight but he went five and two-thirds shutout, 10ks gave up one hit so if I'd probably go Armistead if you can get four out of him, and then you go Storm, and then maybe Sively to close it out if Storm, uh, if Storm can't go five again. But uh, they don't have Waldrip, but they do have the personnel that when when they've got their best stuff, they, they can go toe to toe with anyone in the country. But as you mentioned, the the issue for them is it kind of projects to come. It kind of projects to be how are they gonna how are they gonna hit with the Vols potentially
1: yeah, how do you score enough runs to beat Tennessee? because this Tennessee offense is not last year's Tennessee offense, but like you gotta find a way to score a few runs to to beat them. and uh, you know, this is again, it's just not what Southern Miss does best. Uh, it is like it's not offense. So uh you know they they had a pretty nice weekend offensively at Auburn can they carry that over now is, uh, is going to be the question. And that's, that's going to be the question. No matter, no matter who Tennessee was facing this weekend, that was going to be the question. Can they score enough to beat them? Because uh, it runs are hard to come by against that Tennessee pitching staff right now. Now, the, the one thing, maybe not the one thing, but one of the things that Southern miss is going to look at and be like, well, okay, I feel confident because of X it's that Tennessee has not played well on the road. The last, Few weeks though, Tennessee hasn't been home at all. You know, they won a series at South Carolina. They went 0 1 in Hoover, uh, but then they go to Clemson and win three games away from Lindsey Nelson. So I feel like some of that's getting cleaned up, but this is a true road game, a true road series, and it's a true road test because, uh, you know, Hattiesburg is a difficult place to play. Those fans are going to be ready for it. Um, You know, Ole Miss passed that test just fine a year ago, but you know, it, it's not, this is a tough environment that the Vols are going to walk into. Moving on to this other one that starts at three o'clock on Saturday, another tough road environment as Kentucky is headed to LSU. Uh, this is a dead rematch. Uh, it was even played in the same place, like at least, so this is just like the uh, the Duke UVA situation. Uh, Kentucky went to the box earlier this year and lost a series. Uh, but Kentucky comes in here, They uh, won the Lexington regional. They bounced back after losing the winner's bracket to Indiana on Saturday night uh, to come back and win three straight must-win games. They beat Indiana in the, uh, in the final uh, to win their second regional ever in program history. First since 2017 Uh, LSU, meanwhile, rolled uh, through uh, the, uh, the Baton Rouge regional, they beat Oregon state twice uh, the first game was really close. Uh, they they didn't they got the go ahead run in the eighth inning finally for good. Uh, and then the the game the, the final was a little bit more uh, lSU than uh, than Oregon State, but a good regional, uh, nonetheless for the Tigers, uh, one x factor, though, is that on Monday, right after LSU, Finished beating Oregon State to win the regional. It was, uh, came out that Wes Johnson is going to be the next head coach at Georgia. He's staying with LSU through the end of the postseason. Uh, but that is, uh, that's probably something they didn't, they, they don't love that they have to deal with this week. You know, I don't think that'll actually make much of a difference, but it is, uh, it's a thing. And uh, it it was uh, strange timing to uh, to say the least.
2: Yeah, um, and no pun intended here. That's a a pretty big curveball for the Tigers. But as you mentioned, I don't think it's going to really affect any prep or the games themselves this weekend. But still, I mean, that's a that's a really big deal uh, for for Coach West Johnson. And um, kudos to him for landing the 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 Georgia head coaching job. But I think that while Kentucky, they do play a really unique style in today's day and age. They'll really push the pace. They'll speed the game up. Um, they stormed through the losers bracket with three straight wins. Um, I lean Tennessee here. I think that it's going to be similar to the season they play the series rather that they played in in mid April with with LSU taking two of three. I, I don't think that by any means the Tigers are going to roll. Um, I just think with it being at the box um, the storybook season that they've put together more or less living up to their sky high expectations in the preseason. um, I think that they, especially offensively and, and to their credit, the pitching did look pretty good this weekend. I thought Um, it wasn't as offensive or regional as I had thought. Um, And then I think being able to, to more than likely go up 1-0 with Skeens on the mound, who uh, Kentucky actually hit pretty well against Skeens, but um, I think being able to to trot out Paul Skeens to set the tone is going to be really tough to to potentially overcome for the Wildcats. But again, they won their, first, their second regional ever. Uh, Mason Moore, 10 shutout innings across the weekend. Offense looked good. They had timely hitting all weekend, and and they were on both sides of the baseball they were really really good. So um uphill battle for the cats. I I I lean LSU in 3 here.
1: Yeah, I uh give me give me the Tigers. You know, they they certainly have the advantage being at home and having Paul Skeens and having already beaten Kentucky. The series in Baton Rouge was relatively tight. Uh so you know Kentucky's going to come in feeling pretty confident that they can do this like they know how close they played LSU, you know, and they they know they probably feel like they can, uh, you know, correct whatever mistakes they made and, and come away with a, a different result this time around. You know, LSU at home is just so hard. And the fact that you have to deal with Paul Skeens out of the shoot and, you know, a lot got made out of how many pitches Paul Skeens got Skeens <laughs> through um, last Friday, but A, it wasn't that many. Ultimately, like it was 124 on like eight or nine days of rest. Uh, I think it was eight days of rest and he had thrown 70 pitches the week before. Like it, it's fine. Um, and he has an extra day of rest anyway here. So like it's fully rested, Paul Skeens. I, good luck dealing with that for anybody. So I, I think you feel really good to start with that. And then I know that LSU is going to feel like they can find, uh, you know, one more win. They had to deal with some rain last weekend. Uh, throughout the weekend, really, you know, their game on Saturday got pushed to Sunday, and which is why they then had to play on Monday. Um, even within that, the the second game, you know, Ty Floyd's start got interrupted, but he was pitching pretty well before then. And you know, I think they I think they found out some things about their pitching staff over the last three weeks. At Georgia when Thatcher Heard turned in a really nice relief outing uh, at the SEC tournament and then again here uh, last weekend and Thatcher Heard was really good in what became a piggyback of, uh, of Ty Floyd because of the rain and I just think they're set up in a much better spot pitching wise than they were a month ago or when they played Kentucky the first time uh, you know so that offense Paul Skeen's the way the pitching staff seems to have worked through some things. Uh, you know, I, I like LSU this weekend for sure. Yeah.
2: And, and the pitching is still a work in progress and probably LSU's one Achilles Hill. But as you mentioned, not only do they have Skeins, you've got Ty Floyd and then Thatcher hurt has been much improved over the last however long. And then you have Riley Cooper as well. Who can give you quality innings. Same with Griffin Herring, who has shown flashes. So uh and they didn't even throw Coleman
1: last weekend, and that was Jay Johnson, so they are holding him out in case they needed to play a, a fourth game on the weekend. Uh, so they also have him, and he's fully
2: rested. Right. It, it, not only with him, and then you've got Gavin Guidry, who's been really reliable in a late-inning role. And so it's kind of – it took a little while, but for the Tigers, granted they had their fair share of injuries, but it their new-look pitching staff is coming together, and I think the the perfect time.
1: Absolutely. Um, all right. So the last one, the last super regional to, uh, to talk about here is out West. And this might be the best matchup of the bunch or the, the sexiest matchup of the bunch. It starts at six on Saturday. It's Texas at Stanford, Texas swept through the Coral Gables regional, which I uh, had identified as a upset watch regional and Texas showed why as they uh, knock off Miami twice to move on, Stanford uh, took the hard route as they are wont to do, uh, but they uh, they got through the losers bracket in in their own regional. This is the third third time in four years that Stanford has had to do it that way. They they just don't care. They uh, nothing fazes them, uh, and they beat AM And uh, in the regional final to uh, to advance and deny the world a Texas versus Texas a And M super regional, which honestly were probably. I don't want to say we're better off. It would have been a lot of fun, but it also would have been very combustible. So maybe maybe we are better off with Texas going to Stanford. I think this is awesome. Uh, you know, Two great college baseball programs going at it. Texas has a great one-two punch of Lucas Gordon and LeBaron Johnson, who has turned into one of the best pitchers in the country in the second half going up against uh, an incredible lineup that Stanford is going to be throwing out there against, uh, against the horns. So I, th- I think this is a really fun matchup at sunken.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a matchup between two of the best college baseball programs around, as you mentioned with Stanford in typical Stanford fashion, they dropped a, a regional game and made it hard on themselves to, to advance the supers, but they did just that they beat Fullerton in a tight one before, rather soundly beating A and M twice and in that thirteen to five game, um, it it was I don't want to say closer than the final score indicated, but similar to Penn or excuse me, Southern Miss scoring eight in the ninth to to make that a lopsided margin. Um Stanford scored seven in the seventh in that thirteen to five game to to win that one. Um Tommy Troy hit a grand slam that I I legitimately don't know if it's landed yet, but Um, it's they get another super regional in Palo Alto. They're playing great baseball. And you know, Texas, I I I think I know where you might lean in this one, but um but but the Longhorns, one, they're they're fresh off a sweep in Coral Gables, they beat Miami twice. Um they did so I don't want to say maybe in convincing fashion, but LeBaron Johnson Jr. stymied the Hurricanes all evening and he's as far as the draft goes, one of the biggest risers, I think, of the postseason and in the last few weeks. Um, it's a veteran-clad bunch. It is a really gritty bunch. Dylan Campbell, I think, his hitting streak is at 38 games or 37 games. I think it's 38. And then, regardless, super impressive. And then you had mentioned um, Peyton Powell. We had touched on him, I think, a little bit earlier on in the season as kind of your unsung hero, maybe Murphy staley type of guy in that lineup that they seem to have every year and he's the stat lines are pretty similar it's a little bit less production but 340 with 15 doubles and 10 home runs um they play really good baseball on on either side and as you mentioned that lucas gordon LeBaron johnson one-two punch is it's going to be a difficult one not only for stanford to handle but But any team in the country and then in the bullpen, uh, they've they've also thrown the ball well with guys like Heston Toll and uh, Charlie Hurley contributing quality innings as well. So um, it's man, I this Oral Roberts in Oregon and then Stanford, Texas, and uh, there's really reason to be excited about all eight of these matchups, but. Watching Stanford and, and Texas go at it for two, maybe three games for for the next few nights on, starting on Fridays, that's going to be tough to top because it is two excellent teams and two of the most historic college baseball programs out there. So there's not really much more you can ask for.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, so which way do you think I'm leaning?
2: I think that you're going to lean Texas.
1: So I think that I would like to. But here's the thing, Stanford just did what it does every year, uh, aka go through the losers bracket, and like they'll probably lose one of these first two games against uh, against Texas to force a game three because that's what happens. But what happens is Stanford wins their their home super regionals, and you know like I like where Texas is at right now. Um, they bounced back from you know a, a tough showing at the Big Twelve tournament. Um, you know, they played really well at Miami. They, you know, just a couple weeks ago, swept West Virginia to win the big 12 title. Like, I think that they're playing well right now. And, and Gordon and Johnson are a problem to deal with. The problem with that though, is that if, if Stanford does win one of the first two games, like if Texas doesn't sweep this, I think Texas has to sweep is, is what I'm trying to say here. I love Tanner Witt. I love Tanner Witt so much. But he wasn't great against Miami, and he's not going to go deep into the games at this point. Uh, so if they start him in Game Three, if there is a Game Three, and Tanner Witt gets the start, Texas is really going to need a, a group effort. I don't like anybody needing a group effort against this Stanford offense. I think you have to have, uh, you know, a very committed plan, and just the more arms you introduce into that plan. Uh, the more likely it is Stanford's going to crack one of them, and so if they if they can just piggyback Witt and Hurley, like maybe that would get it done. Uh, but if they need Hurley earlier in the weekend, I, I think it becomes a real issue. I, I just don't know if Texas is deep enough on the mound. Like their one two is maybe as good as you'll find in the field. You know, obviously outside of of Wake Forest you know, just on performance, there are definitely pitchers with better stuff than Lucas Gordon out there. But on performance right now, like Gordon and Johnson match up with just about anyone. uh, But the depth to the Texas pitching staff against an incredible Stanford offense on the road is what scares me.
2: Yeah. And you meant uh, it's not Waldrop and Sprout in terms of stuff, but it's as good of a duo in terms of guys who know how to pitch and have feel for their arsenal. And I don't know if I said kind of what my thinking was for the series, but as you mentioned, Stanford just knows how to like, they're incredibly familiar playing these types of games and in these types of settings. And they, they just know how to win and whether they lose game one or they lose game two to make it a, a a potentially a one-to-one series. um, They're not going to be phased in the slightest. And I just think no matter how it looks, they're going to figure out a way to get it done in the end. And I think that, They have a big time weapon, both offensively and um, on the mound with the Pac-12 pitcher and player of the year, respectively, in Quinn Matthews and, and Alberto Rios. And it doesn't stop with Rios and Matthews. You know, you've got Tommy Troy, who is hitting 410 with 17 home runs, leadoff man Eddie Park, and then superstar sophomore Braden Montgomery has also been well, has also been great, as well as uh, Malcolm Moore, who is arguably one of the best, if not the best freshman hitters in the country, uh, maybe just behind Ethan Petrie and Charlie Condon, if you count red shirts. But uh, no, I, I think that one, the Cardinals depth on the mound is, is they've got more than what the Longhorns have. And then that offense is just so difficult, if not impossible to contain. And then with all of those factors, combining it with, you know, that this is a team that, is here seemingly every year and every year they, they come out on top. I think that the the Cardinal are going to make their fourth straight uh, trip to TD Ameritrade field. I, I guess if I am going to like say
1: that going on, I, I'm going on vibes as much as I am uh, with Stanford as, as much as anything else. Like I, I do like the the strength of their, uh, their, their offense against the depth of Texas's pitching staff, but Like it should be noted that uh, David Pierce is an incredible postseason coach. Texas hasn't lost a game in regionals since 2017. Uh, They have won three straight regionals, three straight super regionals. You know, they've been to Omaha three of the last four seasons. And, you know, the one time they missed, they missed the entire tournament. You know, that 2017 season when he lost, a regional at long beach state like that was his first team at texas like his guys know how to win they went on the road last year they won at ecu in incredibly difficult circumstances um but they found a way to dig out that regional or that super regional rather um they just are coming off of winning a road regional uh something texas hadn't done since 2014 or yeah 2014 now granted they don't play a ton of road regionals but like they just won a road regional they're not going to be phased by this stuff so i i I, it just adds to the layers in this matchup i think but i I just can't get over stanford's postseason history of just like we're going to make it as hard as we possibly can on ourselves in these first two rounds but we're still going to win because we have that kind of offense and we have enough arms to make it happen
2: right and my stanford prediction is not a I don't think it's going to be a 2 nothing resounding sweep of, of the Longhorns, but somehow, some way, we're going to be sitting here at the end of the weekend talking about Stanford and the College World Series again.
1: We we are in agreement on that, but I think that is going to be the best Super Regional. It, it, it is the, it's the series that going into this weekend has the most of my attention, I would say.
2: Absolutely. I, I I'm in agreement there.
1: All right, so that is the 8 supers. Um, you know, we've uh, we've got a great weekend of baseball to come. Uh we had some news over the last week. I mentioned Wes Johnson getting hired by Georgia, uh Carrick Jackson got hired by Missouri becoming the first black uh head baseball coach in SEC history. Uh some other coaching changes, the transfer portals humming. Like we've got all of this covered for you over at baseballamerica.com and on our Twitter feeds uh peter is at peter g flaherty i'm at ted cahill so make sure you give us a follow there check everything out over at the website uh and subscribe to the uh to the baseball america podcast wherever you get your podcast apple podcast stitcher spotify you can you can find it there hit the subscribe button we're going to continue podcasting through the uh through the postseason we'll come out with one next week probably on thursday but make sure you're subscribed so that uh you know, it just pops right into your phone there and uh, you don't have to worry about when we record leading up to the College World Series that, that, uh, that CWS preview will, uh, will just pop right into your feed. So hit the subscribe or the follow button and we, uh, we really appreciate everyone sticking with us through this uh, very exciting postseason. Uh, so when we talk to you next time, we'll know the A-team's headed to Omaha. Peter and I will be uh, getting ready to head to Omaha. So uh, until then, enjoy the baseball. Uh, Thank you for listening. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time.